all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fossone. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or at the web. VeteransRadio.org is our new URL, VeteransRadio.org. Where we're on the web 24-7, you can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.org. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com You're going to find this interview that we do today interesting because for the longest time it's been, geez, next to impossible to get somebody from the Detroit Medical Center to talk to Veterans Radio and and reach out to veterans in general. And as a result, uh, you kind of felt that, eh, somebody's hiding the ball. And in fact, there have been uh, VA Office of Inspector General reports, the the past director had all kinds of problems. The past medical director had all kinds of problems. So we get to talk to the new director who's a breath of fresh air. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Chris Cawley. He is the CEO of the VA Detroit Medical Center and uh, recently appointed this year, and he's got a lot of uh, great background we're going to talk about and some new ideas and just helps shed some light on the John Dingle VA Medical Center in Detroit. Uh, Director Cawley, welcome to Veterans Radio. Well, hello, Jeb. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be able to get the uh, exciting news out what the uh, Detroit VA is bringing uh, these days. Well, let's set this up first by, uh, I'll explain a little bit, but then I'm going to ask you to add to it. Uh, uh, Director Cawley uh, did his undergraduate work at the University of Illinois. He obtained a master's in healthcare administration. He is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Uh, you've been with the VA for 24 or 25 years. You've had various leadership roles and, and headed up uh, different medical centers. Round out your background a little bit. This is clearly a passion of yours. It's your professional career. Tell us what puts you in a great spot to be the CEO of the VA Detroit Medical Center. All right. Well, I'll tell you the uh, my story coming into the VA. Um, right, graduated from the University of Illinois. I've got a degree in kinesiology. Uh, I had plans to become uh, an athletic trainer for the Chicago Bears. Yes, I said it. <laughs> um, 
I, I am very impressed with the Lions, by the way, and am following them. Um, but I had plans to do that. Uh, when I graduated, uh, waiting on the next semester to come around in the fall to get my master's degree in physical therapy, um, I went back home, and uh, there was a um, article in the newspaper that the local VA was hiring kinesiotherapists. And I said, what? Don't know what that is, but I have a degree in it. I'm not doing anything this summer. I'll go check that out. So I started at the VA in Danville, Illinois, as a student trainee kinesiotherapist and just figured I'm just biding my time for the summer. And, you know, I really enjoyed working with the veterans. Uh, but I will tell you, one particular day, uh, I was working with a veteran and uh, he had a speech impediment. Uh, I couldn't understand what he was saying. He was uh, permanently in a wheelchair. He, he kept, you know, using his motions with his hands like he was chopping at his knees. And I didn't know what that was. And, and I asked the, uh, asked the nurses later, I said, hey, you know, what's, what's this guy's story? Why does he keep doing that? Does he have pain in his knees, something I need to know? And they said, well, no, he's a baton death march survivor. Oh, boy. I'll tell you, Jim, it it stopped me in my tracks. Um, Maybe I was naive, Midwest uh, kid. Um, And I, you know, read about, uh, you know, Baton Death March. And I went back and did a little research and studied it. And I tell you, my respect just went through the roof. I said, how am I, what honor do I have um, of treating this guy who went through so much and they, and they talked about, right. So he's chopping at his knees because his knees were broken, uh, as he was, uh, uh, on that March and he survived. And I, I just said, wow, um, <laughs> I get it. want to be an athletic trainer for Chicago bears. Okay. But Holy cow, this mission is cool. And I know you said, yeah, I had a uh, 25 years of service, actually 28 uh, that was 28 years ago. Wow. Never left the VA. Um, I, I, you know, I am not a veteran. Uh, I didn't serve. And that's when I said, this is, this is how I'm going to serve. This is how I'm going to serve my country. I'm going to serve the veterans. And I've been with it ever since. And it is an absolute passion and honor to do that. Well, you've, uh, you've so, certainly yeah, you've risen through the ranks. And, and before your current stop at uh, a CEO in Detroit, you were the executive director of the Lita Lutz VA Medical Center in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, again, a, lo- yeah. a long way from being a summer intern. That, that it is, right? So uh, coming out of being a summer intern uh, and just knowing I wanted to do more for the veterans, uh, there, were, there were some legislation, some laws that were being passed back in the day that uh, I wholeheartedly agreed with, but I'm just going to be honest with you, I, I I didn't feel that leadership um, uh, was doing it correctly. I <laughs> just had this inkling, yes, this naive kid out of Illinois, that I, well, I felt that I could do a little bit better. Um, and so that, that was my goal is to uh, get in some type of leadership. Not that I did not have a goal of being the CEO of a hospital at the time, but I wanted to get into some type of supervisory uh, and, and really start, you know, charging uh, folks with, you know, this is the mission. This is servant leadership. This is how you give back. So just over time, yes, I, you know, took different jobs as a patient education coordinator, 
chief of prosthetics uh, at Mountain Home, Tennessee, and uh, then moved up to Michigan and went to Ann Arbor back in 2009 as the executive assistant to the associate director, the COO. And that's when I really got a taste for the C-suite, what the executive leaders can do, what impact they have not only in the facility, but on on the veterans directly. And that's what I really said. Now, this is really what I want to do. So, so from there, right, I, you know, advanced my degree, became a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, went through a lot of leadership development trainings and was given the opportunity to be uh, the COO uh, of the Ann Arbor VA and really enjoyed it. Uh, and then from there, yeah, became the CEO uh, at the Saginaw VA Medical Center. Now, Saginaw is in our market. It's in our Michigan market. Saginaw is a level three complexity. Uh, low, they don't have any inpatient beds other than a, a nursing home. But what really kept tugging at me was Ann Arbor, though, is a 1B facility. It's a very complex facility, and I missed that. So when given the opportunity to take over uh, Detroit, which is a 1C uh, complexity, and that's just man, that's just nickel and dimes away from being a 1B facility. Uh, I really jumped at that chance. Now, you know, being in Michigan since 2009, uh, working with Detroit, I always felt that Detroit just had, felt like they had more to offer. Uh, And I really felt that, um, you know, if given the opportunity, I think this facility can uh, excel. And I'll tell you, Jim, since I've been here, that's what I've seen. Uh, the folks here are so eager. Uh, they're anxious. They're ready to go. I mean, kind of easy for me. I don't want to say that too much, but really just letting loose of the reins, the employees here, uh, they get it. They well, get the mission. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Detroit uh, VA Medical Center, its number of employees, number of beds. Give, give folks some sense in this uh, around the country we're talking to. Um, Give them some sense of what uh, goes on at the Detroit VA Medical Center. And we're talking to Chris Cawley, who's the CEO of that uh, center, appointed this year. And, and honestly, he's appointed because, you know, there were some challenges at uh, the Detroit Center. So, But tell, give us that sense of what uh, what's there at the complex. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're right, Jim, there, there were some challenges. And we're going to be digging out of that. Already have started a lot of things. But the uh, uh, the Detroit VA, like I said, is a, a level 1C facility. So what that means uh, to the veterans, uh, high complexity, full tertiary facilities. So we have, uh, you know, a full emergency department. We have full surgery capacity. Um, we have a lot of specialties uh, that the lower level facilities don't have, such as the Battle Creeks and the Saginaw's. Uh, so we offer everything just about. The only thing we're missing right now is uh, cardiology, and uh, we're working on that to add cardiology, which will increase our complexity rating. Uh, we have uh, about 150 beds, um, ranging in med surge to uh, CLC, which is the community living center. That's our nursing home. We have that on site as well. We have ICU, uh, step-down units. We have an inpatient mental health ward uh, that has 25 beds. Now, I really want to stress that this state as a whole really is missing 
uh, inpatient mental health. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you go, and it doesn't need necessarily for veterans. I'm just saying the state as a whole right, is lacking right. inpatient mental health. Uh, and we have just increased. We were at 19 uh, inpatient mental health beds. We have just increased to 25. Uh, and that's been very helpful for other facilities, Saginaw and Battle Creek, uh, who refer veterans over here uh, for those services. And, and how many employees uh, work at uh, the Detroit Medical Center? Yeah, we've got just over 2,300. And, and Jim, I'm going to tell you, though, one year ago today, uh, we were sitting probably at about, I don't know, 1,900. Well, that's been one of the, one of the challenges, right? You got to have appropriate staffing to do all of this, and and it's uh, at 2300. What what's sort of the goal? What do you need to get to to say, okay, I'm fully staffed, I can move to the next level? Absolutely. Well, I think we are right. So I think that was the goal. 2300 uh, wasn't something we just pulled out of thin air. Uh, this was a number that we looked across all services and said, what is it that you need to one improve quality? Uh, improve access for the veterans. We want wait times to decrease. Uh, what is it that you need to run your service appropriately? And that was a number that we shot at, and we've reached that, and we're really starting to see a turn. Uh, primary care, for instance, I will tell you, admittingly, our wait times in primary care um, are not that good. Uh, but, boy, have we improved over the last couple of months. Just last month, we hired seven, seven new primary care physicians. In one month, they came on board. That's that huge. That is a that's lot. That's huge. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, that is. Well, yeah, one, one so of the, that's just one area. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk about, because, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but let's talk about the academic affiliations that uh, Detroit Medical Center has, because really all around the country, uh, these big VA medical centers are generally associated or loca- originally located and associated with uh, that academic uh, thought in mind. So t- tell us about uh, the affiliations you have. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that that is historically uh what one of the the VA stands on, we're a learning organization. And uh, legislation was passed, man, it could have been 80 years ago for that matter, uh, that uh, we provide uh, residency for um, uh, new physicians. Our academic affiliate is Wayne State University. So every year we have a rotation of residents that come in uh, year one as their going through their uh, their studies. They graduate to fellows, uh, and they get all their training here on site. They ra- rotate through uh, uh, different disciplines. And, yeah, you're right, across the country, the, it, I don't know, I have the exact number, very large percent of uh, physicians across this country at one point in time walked through a VA medical center as part of their training yeah i i, uh, so I don't remember the i don't remember the number exactly either but it's something astounding like 80 percent of all uh physicians have done some training at uh, the va and and that's good on all fronts and and that's also true with some nursing uh, programs i don't know if you're affiliated with any nursing programs I don't recall that we have nursing programs affiliations, uh, but I will tell you that what we do here, we try to grow our own, uh, whether it be um, uh, RN uh, transition to practice. Uh, 
uh, that we're going to be starting. So these are these are RNs that come out of uh, school that don't have any experience. However, we will hire them on as an RN, but they are they take a year to go through a transitional phase. They're mentored. They get on-the-job training. They have somebody at Proctor with them the whole time. So after one year, you know, they're fully ready to become a uh, an RN uh, on their own. But we did that within our own house. So we well, threw it our own, if you will. And the point of that is, uh, and I guess I want you to talk a little bit about this, all, all of this, whether it's hiring new, new folks or training up nurses to maybe be the full RN or being affiliated with an academic, the goal of all that is patient care and outcomes, isn't it? Well, yeah, let's cut to the chase, right? Um, that is that is it, absolutely. Uh, we need to provide the highest quality of care uh, for veterans. And not only high quality, it's got to be timely, uh, and it's got to be what they need. Now, I'll tell you that the Mission Act came out and said, look, a uh, couple things, right? If, if the VA does not provide the service that you need, we'll send you to the community. If you live 30 minutes away from primary care, we'll send you to, to the community. If, you send, uh, if you're 60 minutes away from specialty care, we'll send you to the community. I am absolutely fine with sending the veteran wherever they need the care. I prefer they get the care in the VA, and that's why we're adding all of these uh, uh, staff so that we can improve quality, we can improve wait times. Uh, when we talk about distance that you have to drive, let me speak to this real quick. So uh, we have, currently we have two outpatient clinics. We have one in Pontiac and uh, we have one in Yale. That's not cutting it, Jim. We need to get out there, right? So I'm just going to ask you, Jim, if, if you lived in a uh, um, uh, South Lion or something of that nature, and you had to go to your primary care provider just to get your blood pressure taken, and you got to fight this Detroit traffic, come all the way down here just to get your blood pressure taken and drawn. That's that's old days. We it's, can't do that anymore. It's we just can't. a disincentive. It's 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 a disincentive, and and I agree with you. The outpatient clinics, and there seems to be a. You know, the, some of this is Congress, right? Congress has got to fund these things, and then uh, they have to fund them. Yes, and then you've but got. We to- also have to. We have to plan strategically, and so I am excited to say at the uh, uh, early 2024, we're opening an outpatient clinic in Trenton, in the Downriver area. I'm very excited about that. That's going to have primary care, mental health, and lab services, uh, and that's just to get started. That's just at least create a presence down there um, while we lease some space. And then on the backside, we're going to be looking to build a new outpatient clinic and actually stand alone uh, that belongs to us. Um, we're doing that. We just had a meeting two weeks ago with uh, Selfridge Air National Guard Base, uh, creating a presence on site there as well. Uh, we're looking in uh, Macomb County, uh, Oakland County, and Port Huron. So Yale is too far away from uh, Port Huron. The mission, it's 40 minutes away and you're already missing uh, those veterans. So we're going to move that closer. So getting to uh, bringing care closer to where the veterans are. And that's our goal. Uh, we need to grow and that's what we're going to do. We're, we've really, our number of veterans, we call them uniques, uh, a unique veteran, a unique social security number, if you will. Uh, 
has been declining over the last couple of years. And partly because we have not been flexible, this facility has not been flexible to get out there in the community, uh, one, to recruit them. Uh, two, you said it, there has been some negative news coming out of the uh, Detroit VA, uh, but we're here to fix it, right? And uh, getting out there, providing that high-quality care, number one. If I had to get a message across to veterans, I'm just asking, hey, give us a chance. If you've been here before and you said, mm, give us another chance, I will tell you, things have changed, guaranteed. Well, and, and we all know in every organization it starts at the top, and they've brought you in with your set of experiences to push that change, to be a change agent. So it's, these are all good mm-hmm. things to hear about, and it really is about delivering uh, the services the veterans need for their care. You you mentioned um, some specialties there, there are there are areas where your docs and 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 healthcare teams are really really kind of especially uh, or unique in serving veterans, and that's why you know there's a lot of talk about community and care. But I've also talked to a lot, a lot of researchers who say private the private sector doesn't understand military veteran issues. That's why we have the VA system. So talk to us about some of the specialties that you have in Detroit that you're just not going to find these kind of experiences maybe with uh, other uh, physician groups. Oh, that's, that's a good point. So, one, let's talk about mental health real quick, right? So our mental health staff, our psychologists, psychiatrists, um, they have been trained in veterans um, not disabilities, but um, the needs of what veterans need. Health, yeah, there are health, health issues, yep. Health issues, that's right. And the public sector has not been. And so we strive a lot on whether it be uh, uh, PTSD, uh, whether it be uh, other mental health issues, we, we really stand uh, far and above the community in that. So I, I would just say if, if you're a veteran in need of mental health, uh, you may want to try the VA first. Uh, they get it. They know it. They've seen it all. Uh, and I mean, chances are they will be able to help you. Uh, so that's the big one. Uh, other specialties, uh, surgery, for instance, we have really grown our surgery department here. Uh, I've got a new chief of surgery, uh, Dr. John Paisley. Boy, this guy is a uh, breath of fresh air. Uh, he's exciting. Um, the staff really look up to him. Uh, he's got a vision. It's really going to take our surgery department to the next level. And one, for instance, is uh, plastics and hands. When we talk about orthopedics, um, we actually get referrals from the Ann Arbor VA. Uh, so we do go back and forth. We send some referrals over there for uh some surgeries, they send folks over here for specifically plastics and hands, and that's very, very exciting uh, that we're able to share um, our specialties like that. Well, and that's what you want. You want the best care for the veteran at the, whichever hospital's best equipped for that, and we don't want to duplicate services because we, you know, you don't, you know, money's not unlimited in the VA system. You you gotta you gotta work and cooperate together. It's great to hear that that uh, you guys are. And and one of the things that a lot of veterans have is is uh, sleep apnea or sleep problems. 
Is, is there any work that's being done there or any specialty work that's being done at the Detroit VA Medical Center? Chris Cawley, director, give us, give us some insight in what's going on in that area. Well, as a matter of fact, our, uh, we have a very large uh, research department, and there's a lot of research going on specifically for uh, sleep apnea. Now, our new uh, chief of research, uh, Dr. Chowdhury, she was our chief of uh, sleep, and she's got a lot of research background. She's doing a lot of research on uh, Gulf War veterans and sleep apnea uh, in that arena. Uh, very, very impressed at what she's brought forward um, and what she brings to the table, not only in the research department. It's not only going to help the uh, Detroit VA. It's going to help every VA across the country, uh, what they're doing. So our sleep uh, department, though, in general, uh, they get it, what we talk about. So they know what uh, Gulf War veterans went through, what other veterans in other uh, areas went through. And so they can specifically uh, tune in to what their needs are. Okay, I'm going to ask you the hard questions now. Everybody's listening, going, "Hey, wait a minute, Jim. You're not you're not hitting Chris with the stuff that people want to want to know about." Hit me below. That's right. What, what are the top three or four issues that you're working on? Because there were challenges that had to be overcome, and that's that's why you're there. So, w- what are those top issues that you're working on? Let me put it this way, Jim. I'm going to tell you a little story, and I share this with any time I get in front of veterans. Um, you got a favorite restaurant you go to, I assume? Absolutely. Um, you go there, and you get a steak every time. It's perfect. And you go there one time, and the steak is not that great. Uh, and you figure, well, you know what? The chef's having a bad day. That's okay. It's my favorite place to go. But you go back the next time, the steak still isn't all that great. And, uh, well, the customer service wasn't all that great either. So unfortunately, you just got to say, you know what, just something's happened here. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not going back. So one day, Jim, you see a sign on the wall that says, under new management. What does that tell you? Well, hopefully my steak will be better. (laughs) Yeah, right, 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 right. It tells me that, you know what, somebody recognized something and a change has to be made. And that's what's happening here. Um, so some of the things that we're working on, I will tell you, one of the, 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 the issues right off the bat uh, is customer service, right? So when I walked in the door the first day I was here, I talked about the all-employee survey. Well, what does that mean, right? People are looking at me like, are you kidding me? You're the new CEO. we got all these issues going on. You want to talk about a survey of the employees? Yes, I do, because I want to know where the employees feel about working at the Detroit VA. What are the issues here? Because we're not going to make change unless I know what the issues are. And so there's been a big um, uh, resounding feedback from the employees. Uh, They let their voices be known. And that was great because in the past, that was not allowed. They were not psychologically safe. They could not speak up. There's fear of reprisal. That's changing. Now people are raising their hand and going, hey, look, uh, I don't think this is right. Uh, look, I think this may harm the veteran. And I think in the past that was that was shied away from. Well, now we're getting folks who are saying, look, if, if you don't change or if this happens, it's going to harm the veteran. These are called uh, close calls. We're having more close calls than we're having adverse events, right? So we're actually catching them ahead of time because people are raising their hands. 
so that that's psychological safety. That was a big issue. I talked about customer service. Uh, we really need to improve in that area. Uh, I'll be honest with you, right? So right, there were places where you would go and uh, the person, you know, would, it was almost like you were bothering them when you walked up to the counter. Uh, and uh, we've done a lot in that area. Uh, a lot of folks have responded also, and we've seen improvements in that area. And then I talked about just that one, just overall our decrease in veterans, and we really need to increase that. This is how we get our funding. Um, I, I do want to say for the veterans who are out there who are saying, hey, you know what, I, I don't need it. Give it to the veterans who deserve it. Well, the reality is it, it's already paid for. It's already there. But if we don't get your service, we don't bring you in, that's a unique, remember I talked about, that goes in through the big calculation in the sky, which is how we get our funding. So I will tell you, even though you may not qualify uh, for health care being paid by the VA, you can still get your care here. If you have Blue Cross Blue Shield and maybe you're, uh, uh, you're not service connected and you don't fall into one of those categories, you still get your care here just like any other hospital. Well, just charge your insurance company just like anybody else would. Uh, go ahead and get that now. You may not think you need it now, but it'd be nice if you were already in the system, something were to happen, you're already in the system. That's you're what we, te- there. That's what we tell everybody. Mean. We tell everybody uh, yeah. that we get involved in at Veterans Radio and at my other, uh, my full-time job. Go register. You may not qualify for uh, health care by VA at the moment. You may feel you don't need it, but get in the system because life changes, events change. You lose a job, you lose an insurance package, whatever it might be, but get in the system. So registration, uh, getting registered is a, a big deal, and that that uh, helps as you're talking about, uh, you know, make, making sure that you got enough veteran units to justify continuing the programs. Yeah, I, I will say. Um if you have an opportunity, uh, go on uh, Hospital Compare. It's a website. Um, this is the first time that the VA has been allowed to participate. So what this does, it's basically it's comparing all the hospitals in the community. You can look up anybody and gives them a rating, like a hotel star rating. Um, the Detroit VA is a four-star facility. The four-star facility. I want to put that out there, and I want. I, I'm not going to say who what everybody else is go ahead and do your own comparison we do have a goal to become a five-star and we already know the areas that we're lacking to keep us from a five-star but being a four-star it's pretty cool well i'm telling you and and getting to a four-star right right getting that mentality across to people that hey don't don't run down our reputation we're a four-star and we're moving to five and the employees are moving to five that's you know that's the kind of culture change you're trying to drive i think definitely correct okay you talked customer service you talked uh, getting uh, enough people through the doors and ex- expanding the service territory any other issues that you go yep we're working on this i want to dispel any rumor about this right now oh boy yeah so well there there is a bit there was a big oig um, Office of Inspector General that came through um, last year and that the final report came out and yeah, it, it smeared some ugly 
uh, on us. But I will tell you, uh, if you read the report, the final report, what it says, our response to them is that, you know, it says we'll be compliant uh, in January 2024. That's standard templated response that you have to give. We've already re uh, replied and responded to every one of those issues. They've all been corrected. The reason we can't say they're compliant right now is we have to show sustainment. We got to show that six months worth of, you said you were going to do this? Oh yeah, it, well you are, you're doing it and so uh, that's fine. We have, we have challenged everybody to step up, uh, meet that challenge. I will tell you when the OIG report came out, I did not hide it, Jim. I didn't put it under my desk. I didn't sit on it, put it under a carpet. I sent out, sent it out to every employee and we put it on our Facebook page because I want everybody to know we're not hiding behind this. We're transparent. This is the truth. This is what happened, but it's not what's happening today. And it's not what's going to happen in the future, guaranteed. Well, that's why we have you on. That's why we have on the CEO of the VA Detroit uh, Medical Center, the John Dingle Medical Center, B because we, we all want all of our veterans to get the top care. And, and you know, it hurts all of us when we say, oh, man, they're not living up to that expectation. We want to hear from leadership that they're heading in this direction and they're, they're getting the job done. And Chris Cawley, I really appreciate you taking some extra time to talk to Veterans Radio today to get these mes messages out. And we'll be back. We'll, be, we'll talk to you some more uh, in the future to see how the progress has gone and, and, and give you a chance in a forum to, to talk to the larger veteran population in the area. Yeah, let's do that. Next time I'll give you an update on the Fisher House. We just broke ground last week. And I'm super excited about that. Well, we, we are at Veterans Radio, big supporters of uh, uh, Kate and the Fisher House team and, and have them on regularly. So we've been following the progress. And, and uh, so that's going to be a great addition for the Detroit Medical Center to have that Fisher House nearby. Chris, thanks, Jim, thank thanks, you very much. thanks for the time today. I really do appreciate it. As I said, uh, Director Cawley at the John Dingle VA Medical Center in Detroit is a breath of fresh air from what there was in the past. We're all rooting for them because we all want our veterans to get the top care and it not to depend on which medical center you go to. It shouldn't be there's a bad one here and a good one 60 miles away. So a uh, real good interview. We look forward to having them back on next year. I want to thank a few of our sponsors, uh, including our VSO sponsors, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettle's chapter in Ann Arbor, the Graf O'Hara Post, uh, VFW Post 423, and the American Legion uh, Press Corn Post 46 in Ann Arbor. We really need the help of our sponsors, and if you'd like to be a sponsor, go to veteransradio.org contact us or click on the sponsor page. Uh, it costs a few bucks to put this on. Nobody's getting uh, rich in this radio program, but we are passionate about what we do, and we hope we're bringing you information that you find interesting and helpful. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help, but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. 
A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We're going to hear now from an Army veteran who uh, tells people that barbecue saved his life. And, you know, we have veterans who are small business owners all over the country and you need to search them out. You need to support them and help them. And, and uh, if you're a VSO, if you're a local post, I want to challenge you to make sure that you're using these kind of guys. And if you're a business owner or you're having a tailgate or a party, again, search out veteran-owned small businesses to help them um, develop as business and but also develop as people. And as you listen to this story, I think you'll see why we're so passionate about helping. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio an Army veteran, Richard Werabelski, uh, commonly known as Chubb Z. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, uh, Richard, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hey, well, thank you for having me, sir. And I, I'll probably call you Chubb Z through this thing, too, because that's how I first met you at a barbecue festival. And uh, we're going to get around to talking about that a little bit later. But, uh, Richard, why don't we uh, start with why you joined the military and you, were, you served from 2006 to 2012, uh, but you got some family history. Tell, tell us why you joined. I joined because uh, I lost my dad at a young age. And um, going through that, I lost my family. And I knew at the time I needed something. Um, you know, I was being uh, recruited for baseball at the time. And then when my dad passed on, my whole life flipped upside down. Um, my mom told me that the guy she was uh, seeing was my real father. Um, come to find out that wasn't the truth. But at the time... Uh, I, I was in high school and I, I was really running with the wrong people and I needed the army more than they needed me at the time. Um, and that's what got me going into the recruitment office, doing all the testing. And, and as I said, you had some family history. Uh, talk about your grandfather a little bit. Yeah, my grandfather, he served in uh, Korean War and the Vietnam War as well. Um so I had a little bit of history there. I had uh, a cousin who joined the military, and, he, you know, he, he's like, oh, you can't do it. You know, he went AWOL and things like that, and he's like, you just couldn't. You know, and it's like, this is going to fuel me. You know, like, you, people tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think that's like a lot of us these days. We we get told, oh, you, that'll never last or that won't work, and you got to put the naysayers off to the side. I think that's one of life lessons uh, that you're passing along here. But uh, Absolutely, and same thing with this business that we started. And uh, when you went into the Army, tell us about what uh, jobs you had, what, what was your MOS, that sort of thing. So I, I was a 92 Yankee specialist. I went in as a unit supply. And when um, opportunity came in for my unit, I did a cross um, MOS with uh, 31 Bravo, which is a military police. And at the time... Well, one of those opportunities that uh, Uncle Sam said I got for you, hey, I'm going to send you to Afghanistan. So t- tell us about uh, that rotation. When did you end up in Afghanistan? What year? 
I was in Afghanistan in 2009, or 2008, 2009. And uh, you had some experiences there that uh, kind of impacted the rest of your life, didn't you? Yeah, yep, and every day, you know, it, it doesn't change. Um, during the elections of um, in Afghanistan, um, not going into too much details and stuff, but uh, I, I was pretty injured pretty severely, um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. I had uh, shoulder issues. I, I had my back and my neck is fused as well. What we're going to focus on here is kind of the transition that the 10 or 12 years uh, post uh, getting out of the Army, you were medically retired in 2012, I believe. Yep. You know, this is with a TBI, and besides the other injuries you mentioned, you have PTSD. Um, and those things have affected your life over the last uh, 10 or 11 years, 12 years. And it's hard to work your way through all that, but you got to, to get on the other side. So talk to us about oh, some of those challenges. Well, the first challenge was, you know, my, my daughter was being born when I was being retired. And I thank God every day because she kept me on straight and narrow. You know, every week or a month or two months go by and we're doing military ceremonies for guys who, uh, off themselves. And, um, you know, I thank God every day that my kids are here. And then, uh, my son was born at a couple of years after. And, um, you know, the family has really, uh, is what changed me, you know? Um, and I think when I went in, you know, I, you go in with a sense of, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, and you, you change your whole life when your kids are, are born and, um, I, I'm more well, understanding you, of things. It gives you a whole new purpose in life. I mean, you know, it, it does. And, and unfortunately, veterans have a horrible daily suicide number. And when you have a TBI or PTSD or other disabilities and, and life isn't going very well, it's easy to say, I got no, no reason, no purpose to live. But in your instance, Chubb Z, the, it was the kids who like were in your, in your life giving you that purpose and reason to live, right? Absolutely, and my wife, uh, who I've uh, been married to for almost 10 years. One of the things that we also have to realize is it's never just one hurdle to get over. There's almost always multiple hurdles in life, and, and they start, particularly veterans, can they feel like they're stacking up on you? And you had to f- uh, face a lot of those hurdles Obviously, the the TBI, the PTSD, working through the VA system, but in personal life, you had you were working on a house that you had a fire in. The insurance was a, a problem that led to a bankruptcy. We hit COVID. You know that it leads to tax issues. I mean, it just kind of starts snowballing. How do how do you stay in the game when all those problems feel like they're ganging up on you? Well, you know, I, I've never wanted to be wealthy. You know, I've always wanted to give back. You know, same thing when I joined the military, it was all about giving back, is find a different purpose. And um, the community has really been uh, a touching 
situation for me because uh, when COVID happened, I uh, found purpose again. And I was like, well, I can't let this country uh, be in such a turmoil. And I wanted to show that there is humanity. And we started up uh, different fundraisers and stuff like that through the city. I worked with big companies like Cataman's um, to help donate 900 meals to our frontline workers to just show them that, hey, you know, we care. You know, we understand what you're going through. And, you know, with everything was so crazy at that time where people were taking these diseases home and they're willing to sacrifice their life for the job that they signed up for. It's just the same thing we did in the military. And I had uh, ultimate respect for that, and it started there. And it gave me a purpose. Uh, during those times, uh, I retired from truck driving because um, uh, semi shook, and I didn't realize I had PTSD. And it took me out of work for almost a year. And then um, they came out with trial uh, experiments to uh, help with PTSD and they put ketamine through my blood and when they did that uh, they told me I totally lost it I had severe PTSD I, I needed to go get help and at that time I was working getting help I, I lost about a year of my life laying in bed um, and I tell people you know it's it, it was mental pains yeah I had some herniated disc and I had some other underlying things but ultimately they said it was mental pain and I tell people to this day you know if you're struggling and you've seen things or you know you're going through a hardship you're you're doing things that you don't understand and this is where fibromyalgia takes um, place as well it attacks your mental it attacks you as a depression and if you don't talk about it, your pains will go internal. And if that happens, it is very hard every day to get out of that bed because the pain is so bad. And I'm a, I'm a pretty physical guy. And I'll tell you, I, I was in the fetal position for some of these episodes and these pains. And uh, it, it really took me out. Well, you had, fortunately, the the... the support of your family you fortunately had uh, some some va recognized care but you also had the support of your community and and chubbs the uh is in a you know lives in a blue collar facility in southeast michigan all good solid working people and you, you kind of mentioned it that you know you joined the military to have public service and in COVID, you're recognizing the public service that all these uh, first-line responders and healthcare people are doing, and you started catering meals to them. And that kind of gets us into what you're doing now. So talk to us how that gave you a new purpose um, to help uh, those other public servants, but also gave you a lot back to the community. Well, you know, first off, you you have to be in a position to help others. You know, I've always been told that, you know, before you can help others, you got to help yourself. Um, so a company was born, you know, Chubb's Smokehouse was born because not only when I make it, other people make it. Um, I have done numerous uh, donations to our police, our fire, um, to our legion, um, to um, 
churches and you know i tried to do the best i can um because in reality this business saves my life it gives me a purpose um and cooking food puts a smile it's a different type of service that you offer than being in the military yes it is a profitable um a business that it has to be but at the same time you see what it does to people and when you can give back you know that's what helps me you know i've always told my wife you know if i could cook for free i would you know but <laughs> at the end of the day you know we, we still got bills and i've taken on a lot more bills uh starting this business and still trying to pay for those uh mistakes and errors and things like that um because it's not the easiest thing to start a business. Well, and that's one of the lessons you've got here to pass along is that, hey, years ago I was, uh, you know, a truck, truck driver, uh, uh, unit supply clerk, uh, military police, but who the heck did he think he was that he could run a business? <laughs> and, and, and you start small and you kind of build up. Uh, yeah, tell, tell us about starting small and building up. Well, you know, after we donated 900 meals, first we had to have insurance and liability just to even donate. And we went through all that stages. Um, I depleted my retirement fund because this was what I, I was passionate about. It was a passion. And then I didn't have the money to start a trailer and to go full out. You know, I upgraded my equipment when I could. Um, we started in a tent and we did that for about three years. And then in our city, you know, they passed uh, food truck laws and it was also in turn towards me as well because some other brick and mortars, uh, thought I was taking business from them. Um, and it was very hard um, at the time. Um, it was hard to get meats. Meats were very costly, still are. Uh, that that hasn't changed. But we started in a tent. We just went. Um, I got licensed every day to do those tent sales um, because I was always the one. I, I told myself, you know, I'll be the one to get it. You, you know, you, you get the guys with the smokers on the corners, you get this guy and they're not licensed. They, they haven't went through the process of doing it the right way. And in turn, you could be sued and things like that. So I had food insurance. I had, uh, st- um, the local health department giving me licenses on temporaries and those were very costly and expensive when we first started, but, it got me my clientele and that's the biggest thing in business before you up your business and you want to make sure you have the right people, the place and the product. You, and, you, you now have a fancy looking, beautiful eye kitchen trailer that goes to these fairs and festivals. Um, let's talk about your menu. What's on your menu that, that uh, people just line up to get. So what I and and talking about lining up, oh man, Westland Barbecue and Blues. There were so many people, and uh, we we try to feed as many many as we can with what we got. But I always do a chicken, pork, and brisket, um, and those are the main items because of now you're touching people's religions, you're touching people's appetites. So you got a chicken and a pork and a brisket. So in case someone doesn't 
can't eat something, then you have that. And then we also have our mac and cheese for our vegans. Uh, we the have mac, the our mac coleslaw. And, the mac and cheese is really good. I can testify to that, <laughs> as, as well as the ribs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and then we do. Uh, we always have a rib type on our truck. We'll do either rib tips or we'll do our baby backs if we're doing dinner service and stuff. Baby backs tend to do better. Um, but when you're at different events, you have to gauge uh, which going to go. You know, um, for that one event that you were at, Jim, you know, we added turkey legs. And we did smoked turkey legs. We call it the Chubbs Club. This thing is like 28 to 32 ounces. It will club you. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> and, and one of the things, too, that you've learned along the way, and again, this is the message to veterans who are thinking about i don't know if i can start a business you start small and you grow it if it's if you're passionate about it like chubbs is you you'll you'll find a way to grow it but you also found that fairs and festivals are one thing as you say you kind of have to estimate the crowd catering's a whole nother thing isn't it it is it's a double business you know catering it is more of a safety thing so you know how much you have to cook and how much you know, when you go into these fairs, you never know. You got a hundred people, you know, they'll tell you 200 people and then only 25 people eat. And now you're out, you know, cause it's all pre-cooked foods and all your supplies, you know, it's very hard to gauge. Um, so this was my very first big, big event, uh, where we've paid a vendor fee as they call it to show up. And now you're gambling, you know, it's a very, very uh mathematical equation that you need to put in um how much food you need to have you know how much you have to cook to make this amount and um so it's it's hard catering is very easy you know and anyone could start a catering company you know well as but, long you, as, but you, as you say you got to have the clientele and part of your clientele mm-hmm. comes out of of having the, the trailer and the barbecue and everything. There's two more things I want to cover before we get out of, run out of time. Sure. One on your menu is pays homage to your mother. Tell us about uh, Chubb's mama on the, re- on the uh, menu. Yeah, so my mom helped me start this business. She was in and out of these hospitals left and right, and this was gave me the idea. I, I fed the Garden City Hospital, and she will walk around. She goes, oh, my son's Chubbs. You know, he, he, he's the one who fed you. And, you know, and she was a disabled person for most of her life and stuff, and she wanted to be part of this movement, and she was my cashier. And for the longest time, you know, um, we worked together. She loved it. You know, we became – so much closer than what we have with all of my family past and stuff. Um, about and, about and what's, a year. What's, what's on when I order the Chubbs Mama? What am I getting? And and I think again, here's a lesson for other veterans: these businesses can pull the family together. But what was on the menu? So the Chubbs Mama is all of her favorite foods. So you're you're getting rib tips or uh, baby back ribs in it. You get brisket, you get chicken, you get pork, 
and you get two sides and we do that for $30. So, and I tell people, you know, you can feed, uh, two people at least for that. Well, I wish we're on, we're on uh, radio, if you will. You can't smell how wonderful this <laughs> is, but when he just explained what that's involved, I hope your mouth is drooling because it should be. Now, there's one more thing I want to uh, bring up here. I want to, I want to challenge all veteran organizations to get out here and do this, and that is find a veteran-owned business, a veteran-owned caterer, a veteran-owned food truck, and help them make it by bringing them into your organization and, and getting them some business. But I think we learn a lot from Chubbs by knowing the struggles that he went through and what can be done to change it and, and the importance of family and the importance of meaningful work. So if you get a chance, uh, make sure this season you get out and help a veteran-owned business. And until next time on Veterans Radio, I'm Jim Fossone, and Dale Throneberry will be back next. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at veteransradio.org or on our website. Check us out. We're always glad uh, to find out what you're thinking. Send us a note. It's always interesting. And until next time on Veterans Radio, where we bring you these great stories you're not going to hear anywhere else, you are dismissed. <laughs>